So let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for gathering us, and Lord, for the just the beautiful institution of marriage, and yet um, not always easy, and uh, sometimes not even fun, but divinely ordered, divinely ordained, divinely purposed, and so Lord, we want to capture just a, a glimpse of what you would have for us tonight as married couples, and we do pray that you would bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you would, um, what we're going to do, <clears throat> first of all, I think I've told most of you at least four or five times, I am way out of my element on this, okay? I've never... Um, Craig asked me, so how many of these have you done? <laughs> and I said, well, in four weeks I will have done one of these. Um, so uh, this is not my th thing necessarily, and yet uh, that's probably a good thing. I think the Lord, it's a long story, and I'll get into the specifics of it, uh, I think, in two weeks. But suffice to say for tonight... Um, I believe with all my heart that the Lord uh, spoke very directly to my heart that we should have a marriage class. And so um, I'm just trying to be obedient to that. And, um, and so he was gracious. Uh, he, uh, I believed that um, we were supposed to do it in 2023. So, uh, you know. I don't know how he speaks to you, but he didn't give me a month. So I tried to put it off for nine months, and here we are. Um, I recognize that marriage is a journey, okay? Uh, it's certainly been a journey for Tracy and I. It's a journey for all of us. And at any given time, I mean, I'm, I am... Uh, well aware of the fact that if you take a, I don't know how many there are here, but if you take a group this size, there are some marriages right now that I'm sure are doing awesome. There are some marriages I'm sure are really struggling. And so I want to be sensitive to that. And I also, I kind of like that in a sense, in this sense. And that is the Bible works. And the Bible applied to our lives very much works. And this is a very divine task that we've undertaken when we decided to get married. And I think most of us would agree, except for these two, that to a certain extent we didn't know what we were getting into. Okay? And um, there is a, a very real thing to that. Now, having said that, I appreciate that you're here. I sincerely do. I mean, I, again, as I'm saying this, I wanted to just be obedient to the Lord. I didn't know if two people would show up. I didn't know, you know, what. And so I'm blessed that you're here. Uh, I always go back to, in my mind, and many of you have heard me say this before, John chapter 5, we won't turn there, but John chapter 5 is the, where the man's been lame since birth, right? And he's laying there by the pool and you know, waiting for him to stir the water up. And, and when Jesus comes up to him, 
he says a question that has always just resonated in my heart. He says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? And that has really, as a pastor, honestly, and in my own conviction, that's really resonated with me because, frankly, there are some people that just don't want to be made well. There's some people that are like, I'm happy laying here by the side of the pool making excuses. And, you know, thankfully Jesus intervened uh, beyond that guy's ability to make excuses. But there's some people that are just kind of programmed and kind of used to the idea and kind of comfortable in their excuse making. And the fact that you're here tells me, doesn't tell me that you're in trouble. By the way, the fact that you showed up does not mean you get a yellow flag, right? does not mean you're in trouble. It means that you recognize this is a journey. We could all use uh, biblical insights, Lord willing, to continue this journey in a positive way. And so uh, I appreciate that you guys are doing that. So the first step is a desire to improve. And so here we are. So that was first step. Um, secondly, I recognize that, you know, we all have different sort of marriage situations tonight. We also have different spiritual backgrounds, different uh, biblical understandings, and that sort of thing. And so I'm not going to go into it a lot, but just be aware of this. There's a thing called spiritual warfare, and it's very clearly written out in the scripture. If you ever want to go to chapter, it's Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. But there's very real spiritual warfare. There's been spiritual warf warfare, I believe, on Tracy and I. And here's how it shows up, right? Satan shows up with a red suit and a pitchfork and like jabs you in the backside. No, it's not how it works. How it works is these little annoyances. Like sometimes when you're stepping out or you're moving forward or you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, there will be just these, you know, it's kind of like you're moving in the in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you're doing what you're supposed to do, and all of a sudden, your husband, I'll just say this, I'll say it from that angle, your husband says something stupid, right? And you've got a choice to make. You can, ladies, you can roll your eyes and say, there he goes again. Or you can press through, right? Husbands, you can do the same thing. You can be like, man, what? She needs to lighten up, right? Or you could just love her through it, right? And so there's very much uh, spiritual warfare when we embark on what the Lord would have us do and an attempt to move forward in honoring what he has for our lives. So all that to say, <clears throat> don't be surprised Again, I don't know all the details, but don't be surprised if on the way here or on the way home or before you go to bed tonight, you feel like, are you serious? I sat there for an hour-ish, listened to some teaching about marriage because I want our marriage to thrive, and now it's like, we're going through this? That may happen. Can I encourage you? That's often part of the process. And so we have to uh, choose to recognize that greater is he that is, uh, that is in us than he who is in the world, that is the Holy Spirit, 
is greater than the enemy of our souls. But also, I think we need to be on guard. I just want to give us a, a sort of a spiritual warfare alertness, if I can, right? Like a spiritual warfare notification. And that is when he, your spouse says or does something that you want to be offended by, please try hard to choose, number one, not to be offended by it, and number two, not to respond as if you're offended by it. And that'll go a long way. Okay, is that fair? Okay, made it through that one. Everybody good so far? Is it hot in here? Um, moving forward may at times seem awkward and uncomfortable. Can I say that? Any, you know, marriage is really the ultimate earthly relationship in a lot, in a lot of ways. Well, probably ultimately. Fair enough? And relationships are hard, period. All relationships are hard. And so moving, so as marriage being the ultimate relationship, having for sure a spiritual warfare component to it, there's going to be some difficulty. If we are working through something, if we're going forward with something, there may be things I say that you're like, make you feel awkward. Okay? That's okay. There may be things that you feel like you're learning that makes you feel awkward. There may be things that we work through that are uncomfortable. That's how it works as we move forward with the Lord. Okay? Um, I alluded to this earlier. You may need, you may learn something. You may hear something that, by golly, your spouse needs to learn. And you hope that he or she is listening when I say it. Can I say this? That is forbidden fruit. Period. Okay? That is absolutely forbidden fruit. I'm serious. Because, I mean, we need to work through things, right? I'm not saying you can't work through things. But if, if we sit here and I maybe exhort husbands to a certain thing and the wife says, yeah, baby, bring it, bring it, let him have it, right? Then we just lost, okay? Same thing for the other way, okay? That's forbidden fruit, okay? Got ground rules so far? It's like playing a game. We're laying out a game that, a sport that, <laughs> that we're learning. Um, and then just re be reminded that the Holy Spirit God's Holy Spirit, think about this, God's Holy Spirit dwells in you as a believer and in your spouse as a believer. Now, we always, think, we always talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of the power of the Spirit, but what about the, the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, right? And I have learned, sometimes slowly through a very thick head, I have learned that the Holy Spirit speaks to my wife better than I do. And if she needs to learn something, I do much better if I let him teach her. Okay? And so my goal for something like this is to learn what I need to learn and try to encourage my wife through, through whatever it is she needs to learn. 
but not to be her Holy Spirit. I am, no, I am nobody's. I'm not any of your Holy Spirits. I'm not my wife's Holy Spirit. All right? So, finally, as we'll kind of wind into it here a little bit, be open to the possibility that your perceptions of yourself or your spouse or your marriage may not be entirely accurate, right? Like, I'm always right. Might not be totally accurate. She's always wrong. May not be totally accurate, right? The pulse of our, even as I said earlier, you know, we all come in with different sort of marital uh, grades, we'll say, or marital, you know, temperature, uh, um, whatever uh, the description is. I remember years ago, um, we were in a Bible study, and we were talking about, it's a home, home study, and, and somehow it came up, there's a group of us kind of sitting around talking casually after the study was over, and, and somebody's talking about marriage, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I, the way I see it, I mean, we're pretty much cruising, right? And my wife's like, all right, bless her heart, she didn't say anything in the moment, right? We got home, maybe I want to guess what I learned? We were not cruising. We were crashing. <laughs> and I had no clue. I had no clue we were crashing. But we were crashing. I'll give you another just as a, as a bit of a testimony. Some of you heard this story. Back in uh, uh, around the turn of the century, um, Tracy and I went through a time that was very difficult. And I think the reason that I have a burden for a class like this, or for a, just for these principles, is because there was nothing, you know, there was, there was nothing radically wrong. Does that make sense? There was just a little bit of me being insensitive and her being a nag, right? Which is sort of the universal unraveling formula. And I was a little more insensitive, and the more I got a little more insensitive, she became that contentious wife that Proverbs talks about. And pretty soon I'm thinking, man, I'd, I would rather live on the corner of a housetop than to live with this woman. And it got, frankly, ugly. Very ugly. And, you know, if you've ever been in one of those seasons, uh, I pray that you're not. And if you are, I'm here to tell you there's hope. But we were in this season. We spent probably a year and a half on a, on a very slow, clearly I didn't recognize the descent that we were on, but we were on a very slow, steady descent for about a year and a half. And finally, it was like we both knew, we both came to the realization that we could not stand to be in the same room with one another. And one night, in a fit of frustration, I said, so what do you think the problem is? And she says, you wish I were dead. And honestly, I paused. Because in that moment, I thought that would be easier than this. And it really kind of struck me between the eyes. 
She said, you wish I were dead and you don't love me. And again, talking about perceptions, I would have never clearly articulated it that way. And I thought I loved her. I, I paid the bills, <laughs> right? And, you know, I thought I did what, you know, helped feed the kids and all the stuff that I thought it meant to be a husband. And so anyway, uh, I called a guy at our church at the time who was uh, <clears throat> about 20 years older than me. And this guy had actually been, he and his wife had been divorced for I think seven years and then remarried. And uh, they just, honestly, they, uh, since that time they've, and I think they still do it, they, can, they just encourage couples uh, that are in trouble, that want to be made well. So I called him and I knew he had this sort of reputation. I called him and I said, I want you to teach me how to love my wife. I said, I need to start over. And by the way, we'd been married uh, almost 14 years by that time. And uh, I said, I want you to teach me how to love my wife. He said, all right. And so I sat down with this guy on June 13th, 2001. And uh, I said, I just want you to teach me how to love my wife. He gave me some scriptures to read. He, I can't tell you what he told me that day. But you talk about spiritual warfare. Anyway, let me back up. I can't remember what he told me that day, but he just encouraged me. And he just started meeting with me. And I met with him every week for quite a while. But anyway, that night, that evening, June 13th, 2001, I come home with, I come home. And I sit down with Tracy on the couch, and I said, I got to tell you something. I said, I met this guy today. I don't think she knew that I was meeting with him. We didn't talk much. And uh, I said, I met, this, I met with this guy today. And I said, I think I have a realization that I need help. And I don't expect you to believe me. And I'm not asking for anything at all. I'm, I'm just talking about me now. I said, but I'm going to meet with this guy. Basically, whether you like it or not, I'm doing my own thing. I've been doing my own thing for a long time. I might as well do my own thing in the right direction, right? I said, I'm going to meet with him, and I asked him to teach me how to love my wife. And I said, I don't expect you to believe me, because I know I've been giving you a lot of lip service. I, I realize that much. So I don't expect you to believe me. I don't expect you to respond in the right, whatever, however I, I don't have any expectations of your response to this. I just need to tell you. And this is what I'm doing. And when I did that, in a supernatural way, every wall just came crashing down. Miraculously. I still met with the guy. 
because I by this time I knew that I was I was I was empty so I met with this guy but anyway that day so we still now we celebrate we were married November 28 1987 we had this moment on June 13 2001 to this day we celebrate two anniversaries my kids say when we get old we're gonna have a good fight so that way we can go away for the weekend twice a year because that's what we do but anyway that's my story that's our story and even since 2001 for sure there are ups and downs but we still look to that day as as the day the Lord was able to miraculously intervene and he did and we look to that day at least I do as the day I knew I needed help and there are times that we need help and that's okay and so um, so we're all on a journey okay and that's that's kind of our story in a sense um, but it's been rich it's been so rich you talk about I said I want to be sensitive to the time but I do want to share this that's all right um, talk about spiritual warfare in the demonic realm and the angelic realm and that whole thing you know it's almost like if you could see watch a movie and see like the real players that are going on right the Sunday before that June 13th we were in church we had had a good fight on the way to church anybody ever done that don't raise your hand we had a good fight on the way to church and in the middle of worship we're like almost the front row in the middle of worship I get this thing in my head you know Matthew I believe five you know if you got something with your uh, you know if you just got in a fight on the way to church and you go and give your gift at the altar, right? Go be reconciled with your brother. And even that, like my technique was so far off. So I grab her and said, come on, we're out of here. And we go and we sit outside because we're going we're gonna to fix this thing right now, right? Because I'm a man. I fix stuff before worship's over, <laughs> right? Let's fix this thing, get back in there. And we look out over the, across the, it was a kind of this big campus of a church. And there's a couple that we look out, as we're sitting there arguing, we watch them do the exchange the kids thing, right? And I remember thinking, it's like I had a visual of that could be your life. You want to pass the kids off every other weekend? And I thought, and, to be, and now before I even say that, I know there are lots of situations here and lots of past and lots of backgrounds and lots of stuff. And I don't, want to, I don't want to be insensitive to that either, right? But I'm just telling you, in that moment, that's where we were. The day June 13th, 19, or 2001, Tracy runs into an old boyfriend at the grocery store, Right? And it was like the Lord prepped her for me to come home that day. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think either of us have seen, and this guy's, I mean, he was a friend of mine, no big issue with, with me, but um, 
I don't think either of us have seen him since then. And yet, in that moment, the Lord is like, this could have been your life, but it's not, and you need to know that. So it's like even before I came home that evening, the Lord was doing his thing, right? And so there's all this, there's sort of this, all this realm that's so far, you know, that's, that's going on that we don't see, but it's real. It's very, very real. So anyway, that's the intro to the intro, all right? Now the intro. Week one, we're going to talk about a biblical vision for marriage, okay? If we want to live abundant life as married people, married Christians, we've got to pursue, and I want us to get this in our heads, we want to live a biblical marriage, not a Christian marriage. There's a big, big difference today. We want to live a biblical marriage. Week two. James chapter three, verse two says this. It says, we all stumble in many ways. We all, that means you and her, you and him, stumble. Not in a few ways, in many ways. And that means also when you're tempted, you know, God forbid, there are times you may be tempted to say, well, I should have married, you know, I've, t- I've talked to people that are like, ah, I should have married that one. Well, that one also stumbles in many ways, right? Or, you know, I need to dump this one and marry that one. Well, that one's going to stumble in many ways. So now would just be a good time to just settle in where we're at with who we got and realize it is what it is, right? And you're a stumbler. Your spouse is a stumbler, not just in a few ways, but in many ways. And we need to kind of just, how do you navigate that, right? How do we navigate that? How do we, how do we work through conflict? How do we learn to ask for forgiveness? And how do we learn to forgive? And how do we move beyond being offended and move toward healing? And can I just say this? If I can put a buzzword in your head for for next week, can I tell you, if I say something offensive, nine times out of ten, I don't realize I said something offensive. But when you take offense, that pours gasoline on the fire. And I think we all need to learn to not take offense. Tracy and I heard a study on this years ago, not even in a marriage context, but just the idea of not taking offense with one another, right? Taking offense is sort of like a a small piece of bitterness. It's like, I'm going to, you know... You made me mad. I'm going to hold on to that a little bit, right? Don't take offense. So that's week two. Week three, we're going to talk about keep pursuing the better marriage. Live abundant marriage rather than tolerable marriage. And and in that, we're going to talk about the biblical roles of husbands and wives. We're going to talk about communication. And and just in case you're curious, somebody said, is there going to be two stools up here? Tracy will be up here I think for that. We haven't worked out all the particulars of it, but she will share some. You will hear from Tracy, not just me. What does everybody think about that? Are you serious? That's it? 
Yeah, guys are like, I don't want her to bust me. Um, and then week four, just some real practical do's and don'ts, right? Some things that we've said, like tonight I said, it's an absolute forbidden fruit to think about, you know, this is what they ought to learn. There's a, there are a handful, I think, of forbidden fruits in marriage. They're just non-negotiables, period. And there are also some non-negotiables, this is what you should do. And uh, so some, some pretty practical, uh, I think, do's and don'ts. So we're, we're kind of going from broad vision down to specific do's and don'ts. That's fair enough? So tonight, biblical vision of marriage. Number, next week, uh, working through some conflict. The following week, biblical roles, abundant life rather than tolerable life. And then finally, uh, practical aspects of this. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about it. Um, we're not on Facebook tonight. Um, we are on Facebook tonight. We're not on Facebook tonight. Okay. Like looking at the catcher, right? Hmm. Uh, we're not on Facebook tonight, but we are on audio. And uh, these teachings will be on the podcast. It'll be podcasted, and they'll be on the website if you want to um, refer back to them. So, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 19. And as we turn there, I want us to keep in mind also, we have perceptions of marriage. Maybe even when we went into marriage, maybe even still. And a lot of things go into those perceptions, right? We have perceptions, we have expectations. A lot of times it's based on uh, family, life experience, Honestly, TV shows, friends, books, movies. Think of a good romance movie. Anybody got a good, put a good romance movie in your head. Good chick flick. Anybody got one in your head? Huh? Raise your hand if you need help with this. You need a lot of help with it. Um, a good romance movie starts out, he's obnoxious, she can't stand him, Right? And there's what we call character development. I, I'm, not, I'm not a script writer, but I could be, because they're on strike. <laughs> so you got character development, right? And next thing you know, at the end of two hours, this guy learned how to be sensitive in two hours. It was amazing. And in two hours, she went from being a word I can't say in church to, like, just downright pleasant. Appreciative, gracious, all that. And we might even see, like, in the, before they roll the credits, we might even see him at the wedding. But usually it's just right before the wedding, right? And it's all about, like, that character development up to the wedding. And then what do we do? We roll the credits. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's about, marriage is about the life of the married people. It's not about the lead up to the wedding. It's about the life, right? Show me grandma and grandpa in the nursing home that have been living happily ever after for 80 years, you know, that have to help each other move around. That's the movie I want to see, but we don't see that. And so we have lots of perceptions. We have lots of maybe expectations. We have lots of cultural baggage that kind of goes into that. And I would say this, even if we grew up in church, I think it's possible that we had a skewed view of marriage from church. And 
you know, too often church just points out its own opinions and not necessarily uh, what the scripture says. And so that's why I want us to take a, take a step back. And I want us to say, what does biblical marriage look like? Not Christian marriage, not church marriage, not my daddy's marriage, not somebody's marriage that I think is cool. But what does biblical marriage look like? Matthew chapter 19. Because we know, as we're thinking about biblical marriage, that what? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. Marriage is a good work. And so the Scripture is is what equips us for that. Matthew 19. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these things that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Again, that's a whole other biblical no-brainer. And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they that are no longer two, uh, they, are, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So when Jesus was asked a question related to marriage, did he just give his opinion? If he gave his opinion, it would have been awesome, right? But what did he say? He said, he quoted the scripture. Jesus quoted scripture. Jesus thought scripture was authoritative, and Jesus thought scripture was useful to navigate the issues of life in this context marriage so let's go where he said let's go back to genesis chapter 2 again these are familiar verses to most of us um but it's worth bathing in them a little bit genesis chapter 2 starting in verse 15 Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to the, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to, at, to the man And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So I want to look at a few things here. All right. Number one, God came up with the idea of marriage. It was God's idea. We live in a society that society thinks they know what marriage ought to look like. 
But the reality is God is the author of marriage, and so we look to God's Word for the uh, solutions to marriage, for the building blocks of a healthy marriage. And so um, first thing we see that was that God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. That was God's plan for, for Adam and Eve to marry. Now, you know, we know from 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 7 and elsewhere, that there's some people that are called to be single. That's totally, if that's God's design, that's awesome. So obviously that's not God's design for us. So we can talk about uh, in this context, uh, it was, it, it, what applied to Adam applied to us. It was not good for man to be alone. So he said, I'm going to make him a helper comparable. The Hebrew word means counterpart. I like that. Counterpart. Not slave, not boss, neither but counterpart. And the idea is they were to be a team. Can I tell us one of the very first things we need to capture as married couples if we're going to live biblically is that we are a team. The idea is that we can, we can glorify the Lord, we can serve the Lord, we can obey the Lord better as a couple than as, an indivi- and than as two individuals. It's like one plus one equals five right? It's not like one plus one is, is two that are just sharing resources, right? It's that Eve was a counterpart to Adam. They are a team. And, uh, and as you think about it, as you know, we're all full-time ministers, right, as Christians. So this is a ministry team. Your, your, your marriage is your ministry team, your life team, your your life as a journey team. And, um, and so, you know, we respect the individuals, right? It's just like in, my, in our family, we've got a lot of kids, right? And uh, we have to, you know, we, we, have, a, we have a team identity. I, I honestly, I learned this from the Markey family years ago. They were a ministry team, uh, in, in, their, in their lives. And so they operated as a team. And we operate as a team. The Murphys are a ministry team. But, and, and honestly, this is always a, a bit of a challenge, but we need to at least be aware of it. The idea is it's easy to lose the identity of the individuals if we, you know, in the focus of the team. It's also, if we, if we just see, a bu- see ourselves as a bunch of individuals, without some kind of team vision, then we lack that. And so both directions, right? And so, so it's, it's a bit of a balance. A marriage is a husband and wife ministry team initiated and ordained and orchestrated by God. And that's a team. That's a single team. The two shall become one flesh, he says. But there are two, right? And there's a husband and a wife. The wife needs to be honored and respected as an individual. The husband needs to be honored and respected as an individual, but they operate as a team. It's very important that they operate as a team. And really, that's what uh, the idea of the helper comparable to Adam uh, was that Eve, Eve fulfilled. And then notice it says at the end here, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I want to be very sensitive and delicate here, but shame should have no part in marriage. If there's a forbi- another one of these absolute forbidden fruits, it should be shame. 
right? Tracy and I, for the even in the midst of our, our lack of wisdom uh, for many years, we sort of, you know, when we were, when we were sort of, there were a couple things that we kind of latched on to, like, even before we were married, that it's like, these are ground rules. We call them ground rules. And I remembered, we, we remembered, like, when we were first kind of dating, we would be around couples sometimes that would, like, publicly shame the other, their, their partner. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, ladies, you're talking in a group, and it's like you put your husband down in public, right? That's shame. Shame should have no part of any marriage, period. And so that was one of our ground rules. Even when, in 2001, when things were at their lowest, that was like, that was an untouchable ground rule, even then. And so we can establish ground rules, right? Can I tell you this? Shame should never enter the, the marriage situa situation. And why is that? Well, because marriage is a love-based relationship. And when you, when you enter into a relationship like this, you've got to make yourself vulnerable. If we're going to grow as husbands and wives, I need to make myself vulnerable to Tracy, and I need to feel like that's a safe place to be. Does that make sense? Like, if I sort of expose a weakness, if you will, or expose an insecurity that I have, right, that we all have, but if I expose something like that to Tracy and she uses it to shame me, then we've gone a bazillion steps backwards, okay? And so that's got to be like no compromise on that, okay? Uh, they were both naked and ashamed. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So never let shame be a part of that. And as a matter of fact, think of your, uh, right now, everybody in the room, think of your spouse as, or think of your response, your reaction, your words, your life should be such that it invites your spouse to make him or herself vulnerable. Does that make sense? Your spouse needs to feel like, I can, I can be vulnerable with this person. I, I can feel safe being vulnerable to this person. You know, this person stumbles in many ways, okay? This person's not perfect, but I can at least know that this person's not going to use this information against me, okay? Fair enough? So that's that. So that's the Old Testament. Best New Testament corollary, Ephesians 5. Turn over Ephesians 5. Starting verse 21. Everybody there? Do you see there where it says the beginning of verse 21? Like there's maybe a subheading like marriage, Christ, and the church. Your Bible say that in verse, uh, right before verse 21? No, it doesn't. It says it before verse 22. Caught you, right? It says it before verse 22 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. 
right? How about we say, submitting to one another in the fear of God, right? That's where really the idea of this marriage should start. Now, we are used to reading through this in the context of husbands and wives' roles, right? What's the husband supposed to do? What's the wife supposed to do? And we'll get into that, like I said, I believe in two weeks. Um, but I want to read it. I want to read it like a, like a narrative, if I can, okay? So think of it not so much as the role of the husband and the role of the wife, but the overall picture, okay? So familiar words to many of us, but I'm going to read this. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So again, we'll talk about the roles later of the husband and wife, but I want you to just notice this. He says, this is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so I want us to think of this with the idea of marriage itself. Not so much the roles for tonight's purposes, but the idea of, sorry, of biblical marriage itself. And the idea of biblical marriage itself is that marriage is God's picture to the world of his relationship with the church, right? I mean, people... Think about this. Just picture Joe, secular, unchurched person at Walmart, right? That person has some kind of perception about the church. Fair enough? God knew that that person would have a perception of the church. And so God created this thing called marriage to demonstrate to that person a picture of what the relationship between the church and himself should be like, right? Now, we've talked about perceptions of church before, right? Imagine if, imagine if every one of us had a marriage that got people's attention enough that was vibrant enough, that was full of life enough that they, and, and then we were able to explain to them, well, God says this is a picture of his relationship with the church. Like, you know, if a guy, you know, if somebody said, man, how can you, how do you love your wife so relentlessly? People ask me that all the time. How do you love your wife so relentlessly and selflessly and just 
give of yourself so, so much. I can say, well, that's a picture of what God does for me. And they look at the wife and they say, how can you respect a guy like that? That's what they ask her all the time. And she'll say, well, that's what I'm supposed to do to God because he loves me so much. And so I'm responding to God's love. God is the initiator. God is the one who uh, is called upon to be the, 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 the one to, to motivate by his love, motivate my response to walk in respectful godliness. And so it's not so much just the role of the husbands and wives. Usually we, we read this passage and we think, okay, this is the husband's job. Okay, this is the wife's job. But what about the bigger picture? This is God's picture to the world of what his relationship with the church is to be like. And so uh, it's really just some points I uh, was thinking of as we, uh, Trace and I were thinking of. By the way, she helped me write up all this. Just uh, Our marriage should be a union that's unending. Okay, I know it doesn't always work that way, but it should be. If we're talking about biblical marriage, and to tonight we're, we're, setting, we're setting the bar high. For the next four weeks, we're going to be setting the bar high. Okay, And so I know that there's lots of different past situations, but we're talking about, uh, you know, from today and the situation that we're in and where God has us today and there's grace for anything that's anything that's uh, in life there's grace for that and I, I, I cannot emphasize that enough too often we carry around our baggage and uh, regret and that sort of thing and and as as much as we can you know it's interesting Hebrews uh, I forget where it is I think I believe chapter 12 no, I think it's chapter 8. Anyway, quotes twice this passage from Jeremiah. So God gives us this passage in three places, one in Jeremiah and two in Hebrews, where he says, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's sin. I, I, I'm going to have a relationship with my people, and I will not even remember their sin. Think about this. God, who's all-knowing, chooses to not, I mean, it's not like he can't, right? He chooses not to. God chooses to remember our sin no more. So every time we bring it up, we're bringing up something that he's already forgotten about. And so if I could just encourage us, wherever we've come from, whatever our life experience is, any of that, and I know that things can be messy, but I know that that shouldn't cause us to shy away from tonight. Tonight, we are married. Tonight, we are married to the person we're sitting next to, except for me. She's back there. Tonight, we are married in a relationship that is to be until death do us part. And that is a biblical standard, period. And we need to own it. We need to own it. Too often we, even, you know, in our, in our, present, in our present tense, we think, well, you know, if this didn't work out, you know, that's, that's, well, it's like we have some kind of escape clause. 
No escape clause. No escape clause. So our marriage should be a union that's unending. Christ's relationship with the church is to be unending, is it not? Our marriage should be held together by the Holy Spirit, just like the relationship between Christ and the church, right? We, we being empowered by the Holy Spirit, have the sense to respond to God's love. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, again, there's responsibility and sovereignty, okay. But if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we would not even recognize our need for God. And so, in a very real sense, He's the one that brings, uh, brings us together, the, the, the husband and the wife and, and Christ and the bride. As the church grows closer to God over time, so must the marriage grow closer over time. You know, if, if, if I'm a piece of the church, let's say, I mean, the church is the collective church, right? But if I'm a piece of the church and I'm thinking about my relationship with God, shouldn't it be growing closer and more intimate all the time? Are there dry seasons? Yeah. Are there fruitful seasons? For sure. But overall, should it be growing closer over time, more intimate over time? Absolutely. Should our marriages be growing closer and more intimate over time? Absolutely. Do we, we see too often, and, and honestly, this, is, and I, this may be where it's awkward a little bit, I, I think too often we get to a place, been married for a little while, she's got her issues, he's got his issues, and we're just going to kind of choose not to go there. And so we're just going to kind of operate parallel for a while, right? And honestly, even in 2001, when Tracy and I were kind of like this, we were like, before the Lord healed us, you know, I think we were both kind of contemplating. So, okay, divorce was not on our, uh, not, it, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the ground rules we had. So I wonder if we could like, what if we could live like parallel like roommates and, you know, we got these kids and, and you know, maybe we could just kind of tolerate each other the rest of our lives. I thank God. I am so thankful that he would not let me live there. He would not let us as a couple live there. And I have to believe that because you showed up here tonight, you don't want him to live, you don't want to live there either. And so if that's you, can I tell you this? The parallel life is not God's best. It is not God's best. And so uh, as the as the relationship of the church and Christ is certainly not parallel, it's growing more and more and more intimate all the time, so the husband and wife should. The marriage gives a world, the world a picture of who God is. We demonstrate who God is. As the bride of Christ, ladies, you can demonstrate who God is to the world by uh, the health of your, like, I love that guy. I respect that guy. The guy takes care of me. We can communicate to the world who God is, his attributes. Uh, he's, he describes himself as merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What if we did that? What if we did that? Think about this. Exodus 34, if you want to go there. Um, 
when God passes by Moses in the cleft of the rock, right? Uh, 34 verses 6 through 7. I won't read them in the interest of time. But God describes himself. When God has a, ch- has a chance to describe himself, he says he's merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Think about that. Does that describe us and our marriages? That's a lofty goal, is it not? But again, we're talking about living biblical marriage, right? If we're talking about living biblical marriage, we're okay talking about lofty goals. So our, mar- our marriages should testify to the goodness of God. People should look at our marriages and have a healthy idea of, where God is, of who God is. And notice also, our marriages have a divine purpose, right? You know, when, I mean, let's be honest, when, at least in the 80s, when we got married, right? I liked her. She was fun. She liked me. I was way fun. She was good catch. I was good catch. We liked hanging out, right? We're going to have fun. We're going to be happy together and sing music and stuff, right? And that's so often how we approach it. But our marriage has a supernatural, eternally before the foundation of time, God-ordained purpose. Now, you may think, with this guy? Are you kidding me? And, and honestly, a room this size, there's somebody that thinks that right now, as I'm saying that. With this woman... Right? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. I'm dead serious. God has a divine purpose. That it's like he reached down, put you together, and said, you guys are going to impact the world together as a team, as a partnership. And this is what I'm calling you to do. It's not so you can have fun together, right? It's, it's way more than that. Way more than that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells us that, well, I'll, I don't want to butcher it. Chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up to his companion. But woe to him who, who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Through one, I'm sorry, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Wait a minute, a threefold cord? I thought we were talking about two. We're talking about three. You and your spouse and the Lord. You have a divine purpose. So, Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. 
And this is the thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor, will, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. So often Christians are unfruitful in their relationship with the Lord because of the way they treat their spouse. Between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she's your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let no one deal, uh, let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So, first of all, don't deal treacherously with your wife of your youth, guys. And no doubt, the same applies to women. What's God's purpose? It's to, it's it's to because God's purpose in marriage is to produce godly offspring obviously that could mean children right uh it could mean spiritual offspring right there are obviously some couples that are barren or have other issues like that right but god wants offspring god wants us to think beyond ourselves god wants us to think to the next generation god wants us to have a purpose God wants, or God does have a purpose. God wants us to realize our purpose that's beyond ourselves. Can I say this? Marriage is never intended to make you happy or to make you satisfied or to make you fulfilled. Marriage is God's purpose to communicate his relationship between Christ and the church. Now, do you find some happiness in that? I hope so. Do you find some fulfillment and satisfaction in that? I hope so. But that's not God's primary intention. And we need to get our heads around that because that's, that's so often our expectation. I heard of a situation recently. Here, we'll, we'll have a quiz. All right? We'll have a quiz. Might be able to divide the room in half. I heard of a young couple recently. Uh, wife filed for divorce because her husband's a gamer, right? Don't get me started. But anyway, her husband's a gamer, video gamer. And she says, I am not going to spend the rest of my life looking at the back of his head. Whose fault is this? Raise your hand if you think it's husband's. Raise your hand if you think it's wife. Raise your hand if you think it's both. It's both. It's totally both, right? Catch this now. When she says, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life looking at the back of his head, what does she say? Let me give you a translation. Can I give you a, a, a modern-day English, new American English? That is, my definition of marriage is that I'm supposed to be happy and fulfilled and nurtured and cared for by this man. And if he's playing a video game, that doesn't do that for me because he's getting his happiness and fulfillment um, from this virtual nonsense. But I have an expectation that's all about me. And because I have an expectation that's all about me, I'm done. Let's be honest. Guys, you're married to a woman with that attitude. What are you going to want to do? 
play video games. <laughs> right? Right? Is the video game like... Could you describe the video game as that word that I can't say in church? No, but you could describe her that way, right? Like, she's annoying. She's an egg. She's, she's wearing me out, right? So they both have this thing like... Uh, and to be fair, we'll go back to Ephesians 5. The, the, the burden lies on the husband, okay? The primary burden lies on the husband. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But her faulty expectation, neither one of them realize there's a purpose beyond themselves, okay? All this to say God has a divine purpose. Psalm 145, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Um, so we want to live our lives that give glory to God. We want to obey God. We want to have a purpose in our lives. If we're married, we do that as a married couple. We live, we live this married life as a team for accomplishing a purpose that's beyond us. So, so often, even in ministry, because we're all ministers, even in ministry, sometimes we'll say, I want to go do that cool ministry, right? You know the kind where you get lots of notoriety and lots of attaboys and, and people think you're awesome, right? And yet you neglect your home life, you neglect your wife in order to go do that thing that caused people to think you're awesome. Why are you, that's, that's out of order. That's out of order. If we're married, catch this, if we're married, our primary ministry is to our spouse. If we're married, our primary ministry is to, is to solidify and grow and nurture that relationship that we have with our spouse. And then whatever we do together is our, or whatever we do, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes he does stuff and sometimes, sometimes she does stuff. But whatever we do accomplishing our God-ordained purpose is what we do as married people. Our, if, if we mess that up, and then go try to minister, we've got it all backwards, and we're outside of the divine purpose of God. Our children are watching, our neighbors are watching, the world is watching. I think that's what I want to say tonight. We're talking about some high, lofty goals. We're talking about setting the bar high. We're talking about living a biblical marriage. And that, frankly, is beyond us. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we live the kind of marriage that God intends us to do. God put you together. God put you, in, God put you guys together. God designed this team as a, as a unit, as a team that is intended to honor and glorify him and give the world a picture of his relationship with the church. And yet even in that, God is setting the bar so high for us that we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And you say, wow, so how does this work? 
Luke chapter 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? No. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? No. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, we're all evil, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we need to ask the Lord, Lord, please fill me with your spirit and give me the power and the ability to do what, I, what, what you're telling me to do. Sometimes when she says something that you want to take offense and be annoyed by, or he says or does something that you want to take offense and be annoyed by and respond to negatively and set that cascade going, right? You need supernatural power. Can I tell you this? We'll get into this when we talk about conflict resolution. But so oftentimes, Tracy and I have had, you know, we've had discussions, lively discussions. And sometimes it just feels like, man, we're just not making headway. And so we stop and pray, right? The threefold, three, threefold cord, right? We stop and pray, and it's like the Lord enters in. We ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, and right? When the Holy Spirit fills you, what do you get? You get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You think that comes in handy in marriage? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I hope you know. I hope you walk out of here saying, wow, marriage is serious. It's not about just me having fun. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a picture that God has set up to the world to show his relationship with his bride. It's something that he ordained since the beginning of time. And furthermore, he ordained this marriage before the foundation of time. And he, decided, and he wanted us to be together for a purpose that's greater than me being happy. And if I'm going to navigate this thing the way he wants me to, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So, let me give you some homework assignments. All right, Beret? This is the part where wives grab, I can't, I just can't let it go. This is the part where wives grab their pen and paper and husbands are like, you got this? <laughs> hey, you getting this down? <laughs> That's okay. We'll work through it. Guys, I'm one of you, so... Number one, discuss what stood out to you and what, and discuss what stood out to you that you think would help, help you think more biblically in marriage. Number two, pray individually and together how you can maybe change, maybe grow, maybe think more biblically, maybe live more biblically. And let me just say this. This may be a new thing to some, to some of us, like praying together, right? We should be praying together, right? But sometimes that's, if there's, if there's uh, discord between the two of you, it, um, it can be awkward to pray with a wife that can't stand you in the moment, Right? I'm going to ask this. Ladies, 
Let's make a deal. Can we make some deals? Ladies, if you can't stand him in the moment, let him at least pray for you. Men, if you can't stand her in the moment, or if you know more likely, she can't stand you in the moment, you pray for her anyway. My, the man that I told you I went to in June of 2001, he, he was funny. He would say, sometimes, like, guys, you put your arm on her shoulder because your arm's probably longer than hers and she can't swing at you, right? You can put your hand on her shoulder and you can say, Lord, bless my wife. Amen. Right? If that's all you got, that's good. Right? But we should be praying together. Okay? Prayer should be a part of our, like, we should be praying together like we're eating together, like we're living together. And so, discuss what stood out to you, what you think would help you think and live more biblically in marriage, and pray individually and together how you can uh, get to that place and accomplish that uh, more so. And just ask the Lord to bless your marriage. Fair enough? So, that's part one. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have instituted marriage for a divine purpose. And Lord, we do thank you and acknowledge that there is great fulfillment in being married. There's great joy in being married. There's great companionship in being married. And so Lord, for this season, until death do us part, You've got us here for a reason, for a purpose, and that is to, to show the world a little piece of your great love for your church. And so, Lord, help us to live with that kind of realization, with that kind of, of awareness. Help us to live the kind of marriages that would make our, that would make our kids and those around us and those that see us want to grow up and have marriages like ours? Help us, help us to have the kind of marriages that would uh, cause others to want to glorify you and serve you and live for you because they know that you're the one that's leading our marriages. And Lord, we do know and we acknowledge that these are goals that are higher than us, that None of us are this sensitive, none of us are this loving, none of us are this respectful, and we need supernatural help. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would fill each and every one of us with your Holy Spirit today, tomorrow, that we would seek to be filled with your Spirit more and more, as, as Ephesians tells us, to, to be filled with the Spirit, to, to keep on being filled is the tense of the word, to to continually be filled with the Spirit, Lord, that, that your Spirit would, would fill us and equip us and empower us to, to say and to do the things we need to say and to do and to think how we ought to think and to uh, just to be aware and to live accordingly. So please do that work in us and through us, Lord, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.